0: Happy New Year to everyone, and welcome back to Family Law Now Live. We appreciate you joining us for this presentation on supporting client and lawyer mental wellness through divorce and separation. We often see divorce inquiries spike in January, and a critical aspect to consider is the impact this journey has on the mental health of the individuals that are navigating separation and divorce, clients and lawyers included. And we also recognize that January can be a particularly challenging time for navigating mental health. That's why we are honored to have mental health professional Jonathan Painter and Amrit Malhotra join Russell on the panel for this very important discussion to share their insights and expertise in this area. Before I have the pleasure of introducing our speakers, um, we would like to get started with a quick poll to get to know our audience a bit better as well. Um, I'm also just gonna go through and take a moment to share what our presenters will be covering in this presentation. So first off, we have recognizing the emotional toll of divorce on individuals, the impact on families and children, adverse childhood experiences, Emotional toll of separation and divorce proceedings on lawyers, relationship between mental well-being and legal outcomes, creating a supportive legal environment, providing emotional support to clients, lawyer self-care strategies recognizing burnout and warning signs. And as Russ mentioned, we'll also be doing some Q&A uh, throughout the presentation, as well as a dedicated Q&A segment at the end. If you weren't on the call yet, I did mention that we have added an, an additional 15 minutes to our presentations for 2024, uh, just to allow for more time uh, for co- the content of the presentation, but also to allow more for audience questions. So. So first, I want to thank Jonathan for being here on the panel. Jonathan Painter is a registered social worker and psychotherapist who works in the family law system, completing parenting plan assessments, voice of the child reports, family mediation, and collaborative family law and private practice. He also provides psychotherapy, such as cognitive behavioral therapy, family therapy, and couples counseling for children and adults. Jonathan is also on the board of directors of the Association for Family Mediation, holding the executive position as treasurer of the board and is on the board of Collaborative Practice Durham Region. We also want to thank Amrit Malhotra for joining us today. Amrit holds a Master of Social Work degree from the University of Toronto and practices as a registered social worker specializing in fertility and third-party reproduction healthcare, trauma, grief, and loss. She also is an accredited family mediator with the Ontario Association for Family Mediation and is a collaborative practice family professional. Amrit is a board member with collaborative divorce Toronto and collaborative practice Hamilton Halton. She is also the co-chair of the Counseling Special Interest Group at the Canadian Fertility andrology Society. In addition, she provides individual and couple counseling in her private practice and is the president of Invicta Counseling. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'd like to introduce our founder and senior partner, Russell Alexander. With 25 years of experience, he uses his knowledge and expertise to serve his clients in all aspects of family law and helps them cope with the difficulties of separation and divorce uses this experience to create unique solutions for each client to enable them and their families to move forward and support through the decision of divorce and separation. Russell has also written four books on separation and divorce and is a fully trained collaborative practice lawyer. He speaks at conferences on collaborative practice, marketing, technology, and the law. And now I hand things over to our presenters and Russ, I'll let you take it away from here.
1: Thank you so much for that introduction, Shannon. Um... Perfect as always. So let's see what our audience uh, is comprised of. We did have somebody put into the um, Q and A or chat that they're a mediator. Thank you for that. So family lawyer, but 60% lawyer from a different area of law, 13% mental health professional, 4%. Law clerk students. We've got two students with us today. Um, always great to have students joining us. Thank you for being here. Uh, going through a separation or a divorce, 6%. And uh, other 10%. So again, if you want to share the other, put it in the box and we'll we'll know who you are. So let's um, do one more poll while we, uh, while we have our polls up. So we'll go right to our second poll question. So this one is, how would you rate the awareness of mental health and well-being and emotional support within legal practice or the legal community you are part of? And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We've got a great turnout over 130 people registered, which is great for the uh, second week in January when people are still digging out. And let's get into the mental wellness poll question and awareness. What does the audience think? High awareness, 22%, moderate awareness, 52%, low awareness, 24%, and other 2%. Well, that's probably consistent with what i'm experiencing you know 10 years ago it wasn't talked about in the legal profession it was almost viewed that if you're a lawyer and you're suffering um, depression or mental health issues you're somehow not capable to be an effective lawyer which is um, a real stigma that still exists in some parts of our profession but jonathan what do you think of these results is that sort of consistent what you're seeing
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to see um, that there's still a tremendous amount of work to do. You know, I think we've made a lot of progress. Like, I was, I didn't know anything about anxiety, depression, I never even heard the words. My kids, you know, they're teenagers now, they know all about it. They know more than I did when I started university. And, you know, I only surpassed their current level of knowledge. Once I started taking courses on, you know, how to treat depression, how to treat anxiety. So, I think we're 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 definitely making progress, but it's always two steps forward, or one step back. So uh, mental health is still highly stigmatized. Uh, the mental health system in Ontario and Canada is still highly underfunded when you compare it to, you know, cancer treatment, which you know we should be spending a lot of money in cancer treatment, but also mental health. You know, so I think it often gets second bill compared to other ailments, and people don't really believe that they're real. You know. We're mental, not,
1: they're not, not real health problems. We're not really proactive, right? We hear about professionals who burn out, who hit a wall, drug alcohol addictions. Some some lawyers commit suicide, unfortunately. Uh, we all know some lawyers in our community who have done that. And, and it seems like we hear about it after the fact. There's nothing too proactive about it. And it's hard to detect, right? Is the person, no. the one lawyer I know who killed himself. I had a case with him a few weeks earlier. We're out playing baseball seemed everything seemed fine. And then, you know, it was over. It, it's I didn't see any warning signs coming, but it, it's just it's, I mean,
2: it's it's tough, stressful work that we do. Um, And, you know, life is stressful, even if you don't have a stressful job. Uh, but adding a stressful job onto that dealing with people in crisis, and we're highly emotional, and we have a, a few high conflict things on your Facebook, it really does take a toll. Yeah, and these cases can take a toll
1: out of you as well. Emre, what do you think of the poll results? Any comments on is this consistent with or sort of what your experience has been?
3: Yeah, you know, I, I echo what Jonathan is saying, certainly. And mental health is health, and we have to start to recognize, and I'm really glad that we're having the opportunity to talk today because it gives us an opportunity to highlight the need to address some of these concerns. Um, it's it's really unfortunate. Uh, people need to know where the help is and how they can access it. So I'm glad that we're going to be touching on some of those things today.
1: Yeah. And share. we'll give everybody an opportunity, our audience, to share this recording with your colleagues and whoever you want for free. Just we want to try to educate as many people as we can. But this leads us into our next, our first topic, actually, recognizing the emotional toll of divorce on individuals. Um, so maybe you can lead us off on this one, Amrit.
3: Sure, I'd be happy to. So when people are going through their separation and divorce, it's it's probably the most, one of the most stressful times that they've ever experienced in their life. It, it's one of those moments where everything just stands still. Usually we have an equilibrium in our lives and it's like, figure it out like a, a bit of a straight line. But once, once something like this happens, everything's a little bit off center. And The way that we would normally cope, we aren't able to cope in those same ways. Um, There's a scale called the Holmes-Ray Life Stress Inventory, and uh, divorce is very high on that scale. It's at 73, and it's only preceded by the death of a spouse at 100. And just below that is a separation from a spouse. And so it's really, really high up there. You know, there are many concerns that people have. It affects their their functioning, the day-to-day functioning, how they eat, their appetite, their sleep patterns, how they're uh, able to relate to others. Uh, some of the concerns that they may have would be around their children, uh, you know, their finances, uh, just everything for that for that person stops at that moment when they're dealing with it and it can be very overwhelming and if there are underlying issues of anxiety or depression or any other uh, mental health issue that they're dealing with it can be exacerbated during that time and it's so critically important that supports are available to assist
1: yeah and i'm just reading some of our audience what comments as they're coming in the court does mm-hmm. not appreciate uh, just moving on just from the, I want to talk about the individuals for a moment, but court does not appreciate yes. when a lawyer is having an issue or needs mental or emotional health and needs a break for a short period of time. You know, that's still true, right? You're, you're supposed to be bulletproof when you go to court and, and mm-hmm. you're an officer of the court and you, you shouldn't be wasting court time. And Very, you know, I think the court can certainly be much more accommodating when an officer of the court makes that request. They shouldn't you know, they should just defer to that person's judgment and give them the break. And then another question came in, the stigma still exists. This is interesting. If you tell the LSO that you're dealing with the mental health issue, they will initiate an investigation for capacity. Now, that's scary, right? So, you know, we're going to talk about the resources available with the Law Society. But so I just want to mm-hmm. talk about the toll on individuals for a moment, because this is a really important point that you brought up, Amrit. Think about what we do, right? We're dealing with clients that they're worse. They're losing their spouse. There could be infidelity. There could be domestic violence. Uh, Their identity is gonna be lost, right? Most of them identify as a married couple. Their friend group is gonna change. They may lose their home. They might lose their children. They might not see their children anymore, depending on what's going on. Um, They could lose their liberty, right? And on your scale, I think going to jail is up there too. Um, So if you're in contempt of court or don't pay your support, you may lose your liberty at your worst. So we're really dealing with people at the lowest parts of their lives, right? And we wanna be mindful of that when we're trying to provide them with professional service. But let's see what our audience is thinking. Let's go to our next poll. Um, And thank you everybody for participating. How familiar are you with the concept adverse child experience or ACEs and the potential impact on individuals and families going through a divorce. So this is interesting. I, I, I'll, I'll be um, curious to find out how much the audience knows about this. But I, let's go to another question that came in just as we're waiting. And uh, one person we don't have on with us, which which we usually do are financial professionals or neutrals. We talk a lot about collaborative practice, but maybe you can, Jonathan, you and I can talk about the role of a financial came in What is the role of the financial advisor and experts in reducing stress and mental wellness challenges for clients during divorce and separation? Um, What do you think? Do financial
2: professionals play? Yeah, I think think they have a huge role to play, right? Um, Because a lot of what has to happen during a separation is financial. Mm -hmm. Um, So take shouldering some of that burden and helping, like when, when parents are going through a separation divorce, there's a lot of fear. How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to afford a house? You know, um, how am I going to afford a new car? All those kinds of things. And the financial professional can work with the couple to answer those questions and, and relieve a lot of that anxiety and, and be able be better at predicting the future, at least financially for them. Um, so that can be a huge role that they can play to take stress off the clients. What, what do you think, Russ?
1: Yeah, you know, I th- I'm i a fan of financial professionals. I know a lot of lawyers like to grind out the work. It's an economic engine to produce the financial statement. I'd rather delegate yep. it, have somebody else do it for a number of reasons. It's less stressful on my team. Uh, it's less stressful yep. for clients if they're working together, sharing information with one professional. We're not bringing a motion for disclosure. You no, know, you don't get into that yep. fight over documents and delay. Um, I think it's better for the lawyer-client relationship because I don't have to go chase my client for the documents they haven't given me yet or become a nag, right? It's, It's coming from a neutral person who's there to the system. And I don't want my relationship with the client to be defined about me waiting for the tax return and asking for it because I know the court's gonna be upset if it's not filed on time and there could be a cost order, but the clients don't always appreciate that so i think they're really helpful in uh you know reducing the temperature re- relieving the stress improving the lawyer client relationship and a number number of other aspects as well uh, but let's see what our audience is thinking mm-hmm. of a- aces all right um
2: okay so not not a lot of people are very familiar
1: no not at all so probably the most you know you're almost what 80 90 percent right um so we're going to talk about it you're in the right spot but I just want to note, Shannon, thank you for doing this. She put the home stress inventory um, index into the chat. So if you want to see uh, and, and go through that index that Amrit talked about, it's there for you. So thank you for doing that, Shannon. So impact on families and children. Uh, Aces, Jonathan, educate us. What, what are we talking about?
2: OK. so. Yeah, so an ACE, you know, remember that, like, separation divorce is an emotional journey at its core. Um, It's it's very stressful for the adults involved, and that stress can be uh, infectious for the kids as well. Uh, So if your parents are always stressed, you're going to be stressed. And what we've learned over the last, like, 20 or 30 years is not just that stress is really bad for kids, but we also now understand why. Um, So from the kid's perspective, um, stress, if it's at toxic levels, will actually cause uh, the release of harmful hormones in their body that changes the way they develop. That's why children are so much more vulnerable, or one of the reasons why they're so much more vulnerable than adults to stress, is it actually changes the way their whole body and mind develop. So for example, if they live in constant stress during a separation, and maybe that stress drags out for two or three years um, that can make their nervous system far more sensitive to stress. So basically it causes long-term anxiety and they're much uh, less resilient when stressful events come up um, in their lives. So these toxic stress events are called adverse childhood experiences among the researchers and I would encourage anybody who doesn't know about this topic to go out and learn as much as you can. It's fascinating and really important our work. So um, examples of ACEs might include witnessing violence, if they're experiencing lots of conflict between their parents, uh, being separated for long periods of time from a loved parent, especially when they're little and their, their attachment uh, bond is still forming, um, having parent-child contact problems. So if there's conflict between a parent and child or a child rejects the parent because of alienation, um, either before, during, or after the separation, that can be really harmful. Um, and then another you know, example is if the standards of living uh, before and after separation are quite different. Right? If they're all of a sudden living in poverty, uh, we know that's really bad for kids. Um, the other thing to keep in mind with ACEs is they're cumulative. So two is twice as bad as one, and four is twice as bad as two, and so on and so forth. Um, So if they witness one violence uh, incident at home, it's half as bad as witnessing two violent incidents at home, Um, you know, roughly. Um, And kids, we know from the research that kids who have four or more ACEs during their childhood, the outcomes for them don't look great as adults. Um, So, for example, they're 3,000% more likely to uh, to attempt suicide as a young adult or as a teen than kids who don't have any ACEs. Uh, they're much more likely to develop, you know, anxiety, depression. Um, uh, they're also much more likely to develop serious illnesses like heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all these kinds of things. Um, so the mental and the physical health, like Emred already said, they're one and the same thing. You can't separate them out. If you have a negative impact on your brain or your mind, you're going to have a ne- negative impact on your body. Um, So the work that we do as collaborative family professionals or family mediators or therapists or family lawyers is so important because we can reduce the co-parenting conflict and we can literally save children's lives by doing that um, and and make the outcome for them much, much better. Um, And, you know, remember that, you know, stress for adults is also really bad, right? It's just as bad as heavy smoking or unhealthy eating or not exercising. Um, And it can literally lead to an early death for us if we're experiencing stress. Um, And, and, uh, you know, that stress can be from your, if you're going through a separation divorce, but it could also be working with uh, people who are, you know, traumatized and going through a divorce themselves as a professional, you can be vicariously traumatized by other people's trauma. Uh, So we always have to keep that in mind that, um, um, you know, stress has an impact on all of us, a negative impact, and we need to manage that as best we can and make sure that all of our practices take into account things like the trauma-informed approach, mental health for both us and our clients. Um, and, uh, um, you know, stress can also have a cascading effect. So if someone's more stressed out, they're much more likely to drink heavily or smoke or eat poorly or not sleep, which can sort of exacerbate the uh, Health outcomes, so we want to make sure that we we are aware of this and we address it. You know, it, it,
1: you mentioned that, Jonathan. I know when you and I get together with other collaborative professionals, if you know we're having a, a glass of wine at a conference or something, oftentimes we go back to those cases that you know left us with some PTSD. Do you remember that case where that client did this? And it's so mm. it's just it's still five years later. It's still outrageous. It kind of burns a hole in your mind right you know that yeah we're dealing with yeah. this trauma with our clients um as well so we did we have an audience request for some papers of books that focus on aces. maybe we can include that in some show notes at the end of the today's proceeding jonathan if you've got some resources yeah, for sure. audience. uh really yeah. important, really yeah. important subject though thank you so the emotional tone divorce proceedings on lawyers like i kind of told you know, a collaborative story of, you know, we see just insane things. We can't like spouses who loved each other now wanting each other to die and saying that to their face. Right. I had, I had a client who um, was terminal and he proudly announced in a collaborative setting that his cancer went into remission and his wife got upset and we're going on, a, we're taking a professional's break and she leans over me, my client sitting beside me, on her way out for her coffee break, he says, why don't you just hurry up and die? I mean, it's like, oh my God. Wow. After he just opened up and revealed, you know, that story. And you think, what runs some of these people? But anyway, uh, impact, I'm probably an example of what the impact is, but let's talk about it on lawyers. Amrit, can you help us out with this next one?
3: Sure. Thank you. Um, Just to Jonathan's point, when he's talked about vicarious trauma, there is so much of it, right? Someone else's trauma becomes your trauma. And it's it stays with you. We all we all have two or three files or cases or people that we've worked with that those memories are kind of etched in there that we remember. Um, The best example I can give you is uh, an example of when a difficult story may be shared. And let's say a message or something comes up on your phone at that moment. That same message may be a trigger for you later. in but it may have been a benign message, but it might remind you of what was happening in the yeah. room at that time when you were listening to this very difficult story. And now it's with you, right? And there's not a, only with when- there's a, right? there's
1: a legendary story of a senior collaborative lawyer in Durham where the spouses mm-hmm. were going at it so bad. He literally got on the boardroom table on all, on, on all fours to separate the two from yelling at each other. Like that's insane right like this is a collaborative setting and yeah. we're still dealing with spouses like that but sorry go ahead i, yeah. I know the yeah. i know there's germ lawyers in the audience and i know everybody's nodding their head they know who it is but <laughs> it's just one of those stories okay. that you wouldn't believe if you told it to anybody who wasn't in the profession
3: right absolutely but you know what we're human first we, right. we may be in our profession later and so we still feel No matter how much of a bubble that you have around you so that the essential you isn't penetrated, you you know, it still can seeps through sometimes, especially when it's cumulative and you're hearing story after story after story. And there's a lot of emotion and it's very heavy. Have you ever walked into a room where someone's just had an argument and there's this tension in the air that you can just, you know, you can cut it with a knife. It's just really, really heavy. Well, if you're dealing with this day in, day out, it has an effect It has it has an impact on even your sense of enjoyment, being able to enjoy in those normal, happy Mm -hmm. things right after you've just dealt with a very difficult situation in your office and coming home to your your kid's birthday party. You know, you may not have the tolerance. You may find yourself a little more agitated than usual. You may be really struggling with things. It can cause people to feel a little bit helpless. Um, it can make people feel like they've got a lack of control. They can't control the outcome. They can't make it any better and they're feeling really kind of lost, maybe even guilty if the outcome didn't go exactly as they planned. Um, It can can also be very triggering if anyone has gone through their their own divorce or separation. It may bring up their own situations or other circumstances where they felt that they weren't in control. Uh, And uh, so it's really important that we, we acknowledge that these are real events that are happening in others' lives. And as a helping professional, we have to be aware that it has an impact, a lasting impact on people. So and so this I think the toll is real and we have to name it. We have to yeah. say we're really struggling. That's why I love collaborative law so much because you get the opportunity to work in teams and maybe lean on your on the other professionals to say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm really struggling with this one. Or, you know, I couldn't sleep last night, because this, it just kept going through my mind. And it was really, it was really upsetting me. And I wanted to meet again, so we could have those debriefs briefs or debriefs after we've had those meetings, because they're really tough.
1: Yeah, and think about the court setting, right, that amplifies the stress for lawyers for a number of reasons. We do a lot of sure. litigation at my firm, mm-hmm. you no know, motions court, Hugely stressful experience for a lot of lawyers, especially junior lawyers. You know, you're worried you, you didn't prepare, you're gonna miss an argument, you're gonna get embarrassed in front of your colleagues, your clients gonna be upset with you if you lose. The list is endless, literally, of what can go wrong. Um, trial work, I probably 90% of the lawyers don't want to do trial work. It's too stressful. It's motions court times three, the amount of preparation you got to do, you put your practice on hold, you pretty much put your family on hold come home after a day of court, you got to prepare for the next day or the judge may may have asked you to prepare a schedule or a document for the court. So you're you're working, you know, 11, 12, 1, 2 a.m. and then going to court the next morning and doing it all over again. So I know a lot of lawyers just choose not to do trials. It was too much for them. And the analogy I would use, if you ever play sports or hockey, you know, when you go to trial or you go to motions court, you're always, you get that nervous excitement right before you go in. So you're firing on all cylinders. And I always tell people, other colleagues that whenever you go to court, you don't know, have that little nervous butterfly in your stomach. You're you're in trouble, right? You've overlooked something or the train's coming down the tracks that you, you're not seeing. So, uh, but that's just the elevated stress that you experience on lawyers just going through this process, but um, very helpful. Thank you relationship between mental and well-being mental well-being and legal outcomes jonathan is there a relationship what should we know
2: yes and um i'm sure a lot of people who are lawyers are aware of the difficulties of managing a highly emotional client in court uh you know court's already a very stressful uh experience and if uh if uh, a a client can't keep their uh, emotions in check then it could turn out really badly for them in court in front of a judge if they lose their temper or something like that so um i i find like um supporting our mental health and clients mental health this is where collaborative practice really shines um because the attitude that we have towards our work makes a big difference on you know the client's experience of our work as well right if we take the attitude that we have to win against the other lawyer and defeat the other party uh we're going to engage in a very uh conflictual very stressful long costly time-consuming process for the clients um this not just causes stress for the the parents and, and the family system but it also causes stress for the professionals involved um and you know going back to what Amrit said, like, vicarious trauma is really subtle kind of trauma. Um, and you may not really draw a straight line between your experiences with clients and the, the trauma. Um, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, if you get in a car accident, well, you can point to the car accident as the source of your trauma, it's really clear. But this day in day out stress, uh, it's much harder to put your finger on. Uh, and the effects can be a little bit more subtle and and slowly kind of seep in your life. Um, But if we can take a more holistic approach to working with our clients and see that one of our roles is to manage it, uh, manage, mitigate and reduce conflict uh, and help clients get through the process more mentally healthy uh, than if we go to litigation, then collaborative is the best process. Uh, You have a team of like dedicated professionals one of whom is a mental health professional um, who are are working together to meet the needs of the clients. So they're not just supporting their clients, but the team is also supporting itself. So helping everyone with uh, their own mental health. Um, and, And like you said before, some lawyers poo poo this idea because they're gonna make less money, right? They're gonna make a lot more money if they take a case to trial um, but also keep in mind, like that has an impact on your your personal life, on your family life, um, and and on your health. Um, and if if you if you have extra time that you're not being uh, used to go to trial or or make motions, then you can take on more clients and make more money. Um, and ultimately, I don't think you can put a, a price on um standard of living, quality of living, quality of life, uh, mental health. Um, so I, I think collaborative uh for the, for a lot of those reasons is the best approach for both clients and lawyers even in high conflict stressful cases um yeah
1: i'm thinking about this topic um i really like having family professionals um involved whether it's litigation or in the collaborative process for a number of reasons especially if one of the clients is, is dealing with some trauma or is not participating or is too emotionally upset for whatever reason they lost their kid there's infidelity there's a million reasons why they'd be upset they're a victim of domestic violence whatever yeah but if you have a family professional involved it helps safeguards the outcome in the sense that you're not if a court five six years down the road goes to set aside your separation agreement or court order And the counsel, or if there's a lawsuit, you can say, well, we did bring in a family professional. We were screening for it. We made sure the client had capacity. Um, So it really does add to the strength of the court order, the agreement that you're getting in place. But you want to be mindful of capacity issues, whether they're doing it voluntarily, whether they're under duress. Oftentimes, sometimes in CP, oftentimes at court, you'll get clients who get buyer's remorse. Next day they decide they don't like what they agreed to. Now that the court could have ran late. They could have been pressured to come to an agreement by their own lawyer or the judge. Uh, But I find it's best if you give them an opportunity to consider it for a few days, whatever the resolution is, so you don't get into that issue. The only other tip I would have for audience members is LawPro has an independent legal advice checklist, which is quite helpful when you're thinking about the outcomes and your clients. Uh, mental health and the relationship there in terms of safeguarding your own practice and your own insurance that you're taking all the necessary steps to make sure everything's um, everything's okay and and the client's ready to sign but let's go to our next poll question because we haven't heard from our audience in a little while so in your opinion what role uh do lawyers play in mitigating the emotional toll of divorce on families especially children so let's give everybody a few moments to answer that i'm going to do some housekeeping i want to thank our host shannon she did it put into the webinar chat a resource link for the aces resorts resources so we had some audience members asking about that thank you shannon for sending that into the chat we'll include it in our show notes as well at the end of um today's presentation and we had a couple of questions that showed up but I think they may have been answered um, scheduling conflicts yes we can make a recording available later and um, all right thank you so I think we're up to date for the uh, housekeeping matters let's go to Amrit with a question because uh, I haven't picked on you yet today uh, <laughs> How can lawyers incorporate mental wellness considerations into their clients' consultations during the divorce? Uh, and what are some practical strategies for clients to manage stress and emotional challenges while going through a divorce or separation? Great question. Thank you for sending it in. What do you think, Amrit?
3: Okay, so the I, I think the first part when you're dealing with with um, your client's mental health, it's important to do an in like a, like a very thorough intake to understand sort of what the history is, what kind of supports may be in place. It might be really essential to have a family professional assist with some of that so they can tell their story, to have that open time to be able to say, you know, this is what it looked like for them when they were in this situation in their marriage, and this is what it feels like to go through a divorce. And these are some of the concerns. And, and to explore whether there are any addictions issues or mental health concerns or a history of intimate partner violence, like other, other things that may come up as you're dealing with a file that may be very important to, to know. That's one way to, to really support clients through the process is to hear their story, give them the space to be able to that save space. And then if we find that we're dealing with um with a client that's dealing with intimate partner violence to ensure that the process makes sense for them so that if so for example if meetings are taking place by zoom to use the um, breakout room so they can have that individual consultation with their lawyer as needed so there's they're doing an in person meeting there's safety considerations in place so that they're arriving maybe much prior to and leaving earlier than the um the partner that the abusive you know ensuring that there's uh, debriefs with the clients and and giving them an opportunity to tell to tell you you know how they experienced what just went just what what happened because many clients when they have a trauma history they might f- freeze um right or they may go into fight mode or they want to may just want to run away or they might just acquiesce and give you exactly what's being asked for even though they don't really comprehend or understand but they're just doing it because they feel pressured or coerced um I, w- I want to go back to the, to the the question that was raised about the financial professional and the importance of the uh, of how they can assist and I think with the financial professional it's really important as well because they can assess for, um knowledge base, right? One one client may not have as much knowledge as the other when it comes to financial matters, or there could be coercion or a financial control. And and that would be an opportunity to kind of disseminate that information as well.
1: Yeah. You think about yes. it, a lot of a lot of relationships, one person does the finances, it's just more convenient, right? And if you have a 20-year mm-hmm. marriage, mm-hmm. that means the person that hasn't looked at the finances for 20 years. So that's a good point. Sorry, Jonathan, did you want to jump right. in there?
2: No, I was just uh, agreeing with uh, Emirates' points. I think she made some really good points there.
1: All right, so let's see what our audience is thinking. Thank you, everybody, for participating. Please keep sending in your questions; they're fantastic. We're going to go through lots of questions today. We've added extra time for questions, so thank you uh, for sending your questions in. Major role, thirty-six percent; moderate role, forty-two; minimum role. 22 percent so rural lawyers play in mitigating the emotional toll of divorce and family yeah you know some lawyers just don't want to hold the hand and pull at the box of tissues right And they just want to solve the problem but what's your take on this data jonathan
2: um yeah i mean i i guess it depends on the role the lawyer's playing right if you're um, if you're negotiating an amicable cohabitation agreement, you're probably not going to have a huge impact on the couple's uh, mental health uh, other than to be, you know, helpful uh, in in getting that document done. But if, if someone's going through a messy divorce and they need that support, then lawyers can play a huge role. So it really depends mm-hmm. on the circumstance. But I, I would say that um, uh, a lawyer's approach can really... Um, Dramatically influence the the positive or negative. Uh, Amara, yeah, um, any thoughts response on response to to commission.
1: Yeah. Any, any thoughts yeah. on the poll results?
3: Um, well, the I'd be curious to know a little bit more about the the one the the twenty two percent, right? The the where they don't play a role. So. I would like, to, I'd love to hear more if there's people that want to put stuff in the, okay. in the chats about that, because that I'm curious about that. I do think like I the think emotion is so the critical, Jerry. Probably
1: this. the corporate and the tax lawyers answering that question that way. But let's throw it in the chat. Okay. Let's find out who you are. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm and curious.
3: I throw, I throw it back there. I throw it back yeah. there. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I could
1: be wrong. <laughs> All right. So yeah. let's go. Thank you, everybody, for sending your questions or answers in. Um, a question did come in about CPT. Sorry, CBD accreditation from the Law Society for this program. Application was submitted in December, but I think because of the holiday break, they haven't processed it yet. But we will send a follow up email when we get an answer from the Law Society. Um, so, creating a supportive legal environment, this is, um, I'll take the lead on this and then maybe Emmett and Jonathan can jump in. So, for, and I'll just speak about what we do at my firm. Every firm's different, but we start at the intake process. Uh, So we publish lots of material online. We talk, we provide lots of guides, lots of links to resources. Uh, But when I say we start at the intake process, rather than hiring receptionists to answer our phones, uh, when a new client calls, we hire social workers. And, And they're trained to help clients deal with the first contact with the law firm. They're trained to listen to the story, to ask the right questions, to give them resources. Um, A lot of initial contacts clients have with the law firm is very short and, you know, uh, not a lot of information is provided and um, not a lot of lawyers meet with clients um, quickly. You know, you may wait two, three weeks to get an appointment or you may not even get a call back. So we start with the intake process. We hire social workers and we start um, screening our clients at the front end. Certainly want to have the right pace and show the appropriate amount of empathy, especially when they're talking about difficult um, matters, we want to encourage their support network, so should they want to bring a friend or a family member to the consultation, we encourage that. Um, What I do is I get them to write everything down ahead of their meeting with their lawyer. Uh, and go through that list, because oftentimes they'll forget what they wanted to, the questions they want to ask. They're just too overwhelmed and too anxious, uh, or they could just be too distraught answering my questions when I'm asking about relationship details and what went wrong and the reason for the separation. And they may shut down and, and not have that, forget what they want. Um, You might want to develop safety plans. So if if there's domestic violence going on, you may want to connect them with an appropriate person to develop a safety plan to ensure that their safety is secured. Connect them with family professionals. People that we have on today, Amrit and Jonathan, there's a whole whole community of family professionals uh, across the province. You go to your local collaborative practice group most or all of the collaborative practice groups have family professionals who are trained collaboratively who can help outside of the collaborative system. So even if you do not have collaborative practice training, those professionals can still help your client create, uh, help you create a a supportive um, environment for your client. I think Jonathan mentioned, or maybe as Amrit mentioned, you may want to consider uh, setting up a shuttle system. So it could be shuttle CP or shuttle mediation where if it's just too traumatic to be in the same room as their spouse you do it separately and the professionals move from room to room that often is quite effective in terms of supporting uh clients through this process what i also like to do is debrief the clients regularly uh, whether we're in a cp setting collaborative practice setting or in a court hearing online or in person i want to spend some time with the client afterwards to go through what just happened, not just substantively, but process-wise and and in terms of where their head's at. Oftentimes, I would come out of court pre-pandemic when we'd have our conferences in person, and I thought the case went fairly well, and we get two feet into the hallway outside the courtroom doors, and the client says, what just happened in there? No idea, right? This completely shut down. Can't remember what the judge told him, uh, so you want to be mindful of that and be very supportive of that and, and go at the client's pace. So those are some tips that I would recommend, that's some some uh, some processes we've implemented at my firm. But Emerit, what, what would you add to that in terms of creating a supportive legal environment?
3: Yeah, I think having the right professional at the right time in the right place, right? Just ensuring that... If you're picking up on cues from your client and they're struggling, it doesn't mean that you have to become their counselor, that you're their their therapist. In fact, it may mean that you're encouraging them to go get a therapist or work with a family professional or others that can help them or go see their family doctor. If if they're struggling with a mental health concern Mm -hmm. to begin the process and maybe work as a team to support that person who's in crisis because they're coming to you when they're in crisis. Right. Yep. It's the one of the most difficult things that they've ever been through, and they're coming to you for guidance. And so it doesn't mean you have to wear all those hats. It just means that you might need to refer them to someone who can attend to those needs because you are the person that's most knowledgeable to help them through their legal matter.
1: Yeah. And our intake right? team so, has a referral binder for different resources throughout. The, uh, right. So on that call, they can actually relay the information in real time. But Jonathan, any
2: suggestions? Yeah, I, I uh, uh, you took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna suggest that everybody who works in family law, whether you're a, a mental health professional or a lawyer or a financial professional, um, have a, a good list of people yeah. um, that you trust, that you can refer to if you don't know the people in your area go out and meet them. I I get uh, messages, you know, every week Mm -hmm. or every other week from various professionals saying, hey, can we meet and chat and see what uh, kind of services you offer and what kind of services I offer? And, you know, I am a mental health professional, but I can't provide mental health counseling for all my clients if I'm doing, you know, other work like mediation or an assessment or a collaborative practice. So I I need good people to refer to Emeryn is one of my go-to people to refer to for sure. She's fantastic at what she does. Um, but yeah, if you don't know people, then get to know people in your area and always have a list of, you know, uh, 10 uh, top people that you know can help you. And that, that'll take some of the stress and load off you as a, as a lawyer as well. So you know that your clients are well looked after by the people you trust.
1: Let's throw our next poll up there. And if you don't have that network, you can just do a search of resources that you can provide to your clients. Uh, The government and law society have lots of great resources. Could be 1-800 numbers, websites. We'll give you some resources today, Uh, but just take 20, 30 minutes, come up with a list of resources that you can refer to. If you're a sole practitioner, put it by your desk, by the phone. So when you're talking to your client or doing a Zoom call, you'll have the information ready. So great tips, Jonathan and Emery. Thank you,
3: Russell. Sorry, before you go on, I just want to mention one one thing because you were ta- we were talking about resources. Many um, many clients have access to an employee assistance program as well through their workplace and at no charge for counseling. So that is the first. That may be one of the first go tos if they need immediate support and in, there's no time to find anyone else. If they have access to that, then that may be a great option as a starting point
1: and as lawyers you need to be mindful this is not what we're trained to do we're not experts so don't play armchair, mm-hmm. counselor or psychologist rely on the people who are experts to do it uh if you're not sure refer your client to their family doctor right and the doctor's going to have resources and, and helpful uh, information as well but we don't want to overstep our capacity as well that's not what we're trained to no. do and that's um may do more damage than good if we try to do that let's go back to our audience uh mental wellness in your experience how supportive do you think uh the legal environment is in addressing emotional needs of the clients during separation eight percent very supportive 63 percent moderate moderately and not supportive 30 percent so doesn't look like we're doing a very good job according to this data or there's room for improvement any thoughts Emirates, does this reflect what you're seeing?
3: Well, I think uh, you can only do what you can do. And so we also have to look at the uh, professionals who are providing the support and just how much strain and stress they're they're under. And maybe we're also talking about the mental health also of the professionals that are providing the assistance. So we've got to take care of you first, put that oxygen mask on you first before you can take care of someone else. So I just, I think... That would
1: be my point. Yeah. Jonathan, any take on our poll results?
3: I mean, uh, I there's more
2: work to be done 100%. Um, I, I tend to know people like yourself, uh, Russ, or, you know, people like Brian Galbraith or uh, other lawyers who are more sensitive and aware of the, their clients' emotional needs uh, and, and aware of mental health and don't, carry around that stigma, um, but, uh, but you know, there's definitely a lot more work to get done out there. And um, uh, I, I think uh, Bell Let's Talk Month is coming up soon. So uh, we wanna raise awareness as much as possible. Okay.
1: So we're gonna move into our next topic, Jonathan, but just give me a moment. We had a, a comment come in here. We kind of touched upon this earlier uh, today. What role do lawyers values and ethics play in terms of conflict resolution, collaborative practice or facilitating mental wellness in the separation and divorce process? Is there an inherent conflict of interest in this regard as it would seem that prolonging the client's conflict might be more lucrative for the lawyer. and can also be a common perception of the uh, people generally. Well, I find, and I might be a minority, the quicker you resolve your client's case in accordance with their goals and wishes and instructions, the happier client is going to be. They're going to refer more work to you and you're going to be more successful. So you're going to make much more money doing good work efficiently than dragging out the court case or dragging out the collaborative process. That's my view because you're going to create a raving fan. You're going to get more clients coming into your firm. So... You know, we all know lawyers who grind the files and who are arsonists are going to burn everything to the ground. Uh, I don't think that's certainly not good for the client, but I don't think it's good for that lawyer because nobody's going to want to work with them. They're going to know exactly what they're up to and uh, clients are smart. They're going to figure it out. So that's my take on that question. Um, Any thoughts, Jonathan or Amrit, before we move into our next topic?
3: I agree with you, yeah, I Russ. Think, I mean,
2: I agree with you, Russ. Like your your attitude as a lawyer does make a big difference. And don't get me wrong, there are times when you need a really tough litigator on your side. Yeah. But in general, I think um, you know your perspective on uh, how to meet your client's needs is really important. And if your perspective is, I got to fight like hell and increase conflict and win every motion and win in trial um, it, it it's not going to meet most clients needs uh, most clients need a more peaceful quicker cheaper resolution to their family law issue um, so I, I think a, a, a lawyer's uh, ethics and their attitude towards the work does make a big difference yeah.
1: you need to be an objective advocate too if your client is giving you specific yeah. instructions you need to follow your client's instructions but I think the question was more geared towards the lawyer's conduct not the client who yeah, you know we all have yeah. difficult clients and um, or clients with unreasonable expectations so I don't think that's what that was geared towards so providing emotional support to clients um Jonathan can you help us out with this one
2: yeah so um the first thing I would suggest uh folks do is to learn to identify the signs Uh, of distress that suggests a client needs to go through uh, or or go get some more help and support. Uh, So there's an important concept in psychology called decompensation. And this occurs when someone gets so stressed out that they lose control of their emotions. Uh, So those symptoms might be excessive, uncontrollable, crying, suicidal thoughts, self-harming behaviors, yelling, um, I don't know, angry outbursts. uh, They can't sleep, they can't eat, uh, they're missing work. Uh, maybe they're becoming violence, or or maybe they're a victim of violence. Uh, These are all signs that the person needs more help than they're getting. Um, Because sometimes we just have too much rest to handle all by ourselves. Uh, And divorce and separation is a great example. Um, So if you see any of these signs, immediately refer them to a mental health professional. Um, But actually, when I'm working with clients, uh, even if they don't have these symptoms, I almost always recommend, hey, do you have a therapist? Have you considered getting one? Um, and you know, mentioned uh, um, EAP programs, employee assistance programs. They're one of the reasons they're great is because they're fast. You can usually get a an appointment within a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you if you go to like a, a community clinic, you might be waiting six months, right? So um, yeah, so I, I would say uh, learn the signs. If you want to learn more, there's a great a training program called Assist A S I S T, and uh, Shannon can post a link to the training in the in the uh, chat. And it's just a kind of a mental health first aid for people who aren't mental health professionals. Highly recommend it. Uh, great course. Uh, I took it myself a few years ago, and I would recommend it for everybody who works with anybody who's ever you know emotionally dysregulated. Um, so then, you know, obviously referring clients is, is really important, uh, um, both for, for our clients, but also we might feel like we need uh, some extra help um, to help cope with the stress. That might be working in a collaborative team and getting support from your team, but it might also be going in and speaking to a therapist yourself. Um, and uh, a couple of things that you mentioned, uh, Russ, that were really important, and you too, Amrit, Uh you always have to know what I call your area of permission. Um, And that's what role that your client has hired you to do. If you're a lawyer, your client hasn't hired you to give mental health treatment. So refer that out Um, as a mental health professional, they haven't hired me to fix their finances, refer to a financial professional. Um, So no, you know, be quick to refer them to people that can help them um, and, and don't hesitate if you feel you need help as well as a professional.
1: Excellent. Thank you for that,
2: uh,
3: Emirate. You want to add to that? No, I think he's, Jonathan said it perfectly. That that he's makes so sense. so good, eh? He just not right <laughs> every time. There's, there's nothing for us to talk you
1: about. You stop, go on. on yeah. <laughs> Jonathan's like, stop, stop. I don't want to hear anymore.
2: All right, <laughs> stop, tell this, me more. There yeah. you go. This is our
1: final poll question of the day. Everybody's been fantastic in participating today, so I want to thank our audience for all the fantastic questions and all the great responses to the poll. So what self-care strategies do you think lawyers can adopt to recognize and prevent burnout while handling emotionally challenging cases like divorce? And we've given some examples of some of the trauma we've experienced, Um, but this will be interesting to find out what our audience thinks. Uh, Give everybody just a moment, then next we're gonna talk about lawyer self-care strategies, then I think we're going to be moving into some Q&A. We usually wrap up at um, 1 o'clock, but Shannon's extended it to 1.15. Uh, Our audience is pressed to give a little bit more time for Q&A. So thanks, Shannon, for that. And I want to thank Shannon. She did put some information to the um, chat about the ASSIST program. Um, So you can get that there as well. And we'll include it in the show notes. So thank you again. Uh, Let's see for our final poll results of the day. All right, Uh, regular counseling or therapy, 37%. Mindfulness and stress reduction techniques, 67%. Setting boundaries on workload and client interactions, 77%. Yes, boundaries. Um, Other, please put it in the box. We've got 12%, so we want to hear what you think the other strategies are. All right, so lawyer self-care strategies, recognizing burnout and warning signs. We talked earlier at the beginning of a, colleagues we know who've committed suicide, drug addiction, um, other addictions that uh, colleagues uh, experience. They run afoul of the rules of professional conduct and trouble with the law society. Sometimes they get disbarred as well. And what do we need to know?
3: so burnout basically is when you're worn out physically and emotionally and how do you recognize that you recognize that by perhaps you're having difficulty sleeping your appetite has changed either eating too much or too little or you're unable to eat like anything um or you may be going more towards the comfort food eating more junk food eating um high fat food high salt high sugar um you may be having more alcohol consumption or other substances uh where it may be really important is is to incorporate some self-care strategies. And some of them are mentioned in that poll, which are awesome, but just, you know, ensuring that there's adequate hydration, that there's good, um, good nutrition talking about it when you're feeling full, I always give the pressure uh, pressure cooker analogy, right? If we stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, eventually that lid's going to come flying off and it may fly off at the wrong person at the wrong time, the wrong place, open the valve a little bit, start communicating, talking about it with your peers find somebody that you can connect with that's willing to listen when you've had a difficult situation, or if you're in a collaborative team, you have your others to lean on. Um, the people that are closest to you are going to notice when you're experiencing burnout, because there's going to be changes potentially in your behavior, your mood, uh, your emotions. You may start experiencing like some intrusive thoughts. Uh, you, you may be uh, having greater anxiety or depression. Um, and it's it's really important to have those connection with others so we can mitigate some of these things and setting those boundaries and knowing when the end of your day comes so that you don't finish at five. But then you're working on your dining room table until 9 p.m. You're actually ending at five and then coming back into the office the next day and not working over the weekends, if possible. Um, or, but or it's just,
1: family time, right? you dinner's exactly watching TV right. you've got the laptop. You're not even paying attention to the program. You're just continuing on with your day. Right.
3: Yeah. Right. So that work-life balance, right? And, and understanding how, mm-hmm. how to kind of keep those things separate will help with the longevity. So you're able to function function well. Um, I also find like doing, like having certain hobbies that can, uh, where you're noticing a sense of completion can be really helpful. Sometimes these uh, legal files may take a long time to process to get to completion and it may drag on. Whereas if you're like doing a thousand piece puzzle, you start it, you're in the middle of it and you finally end it. And then you get to enjoy this beautiful view, or it may be um, preparing a meal that's really uh, quite intricate and putting it together. You actually see a sense of completion and you get to enjoy it. And, and so having something that really matters to you, um, and, and I share that one because when I was working in critical care for, for 13 years, I would often find that. I I needed to have a conclusion I needed to have something that would be ended and it would be in a positive way and so that it wouldn't just just linger mm-hmm. right and so I I find that having something that can have a conclusion is helpful whatever that may be maybe that's a hike on a trail maybe that's um like an exercise routine or whatever it may be but just basic self-care strategies they can look like anything um It depends on each individual and how you want to do it. But mindfulness, meditation, journaling, talking about it, seeking your own therapy if you need it. Um, There is a lot of courage in seeking help. It's not a sign of weakness, right? And mental health is health. I'm going to steal that from the Canadian Mental Health Association. It's not mine. It's theirs. But uh, it is really important that we acknowledge it because it's really affecting, affecting professionals and all people. It's affecting all people. Make your
1: bed place. every morning for a thing. Then you've completed one That's day, it. Right? thing. Right? 100%. I do
3: that. Absolutely, Russell. The, the Marines, I go by that. let talk
1: about that. Make your bed. No matter what your day is
2: like, you've
1: completed That's one it. thing. Jonathan? Yes. Tips?
2: Uh, no, I, I don't make my bed. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe in that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, um, it's tough work. And we have to be humble about the effect that it has on us and leave our pride and our ego at the door and just recognize that sometimes we have more stress than we can handle. And when we, when we do that, we need to balance it out with the kinds of things that Amrit was talking about. For me, that's time in nature. I, I I love being outdoors and (laughs) the great thing about the outdoors is a lot of the places you go in the outdoors don't have cell service. What does that mean? You're not getting emails from clients. You're not getting messages from clients. You're not getting, um, you know, panicked emails from lawyers saying, you know, where my clients are in crisis, deal with it. So uh, for me, time in nature is is the way to recover. And uh, I would encourage everyone to do that. I'm not uh, alone in in loving nature, but uh, it does have a lot of healing properties.
1: Yeah. This career is like a black hole, right? It'll take as much of you as you want to put into it the being a a lawyer yeah uh i remember pre-pandemic this is you know sounds like the old days about four or five years ago whatever that was right four years ago um i'd come home from work take my suit off get put my pants on like my jeans on that was like the formal transition my day was over yeah during the covid right the day never ended like you're at your computer doing zoom yes. calls back to back to back. Um, I love the tips you guys are giving. I just want to touch upon our audience contribution here. Um, somebody says they do yoga. They find, um, it uh, helps her practice, uh, helps them with, with her, uh, stressful practice. Actually our host does yoga. Shannon, she inspired me to do it. I did yoga before today's thing. It's fantastic. Um, having a constant, uh, Uh, a team available to help you um, provide assistance on files. Uh, Some great tips coming in from our audience. I love the walking in nature. My morning routine is to walk my dogs in the forest every morning before I start my day. Uh, I still do it. It's just a good way to set your clock. Gratitude is really important. You start your day with gratitude. Uh, It certainly helps relieve stress. I've got this thing called on called a whoop. I don't know if anybody knows about it. But what it gives you like um, a display and you can monitor how well you're sleeping, what your recovery is, what your strain is, what your stress levels are, what your resting heart rate is. Um, So you can see how well you're sleeping, what your body, how your body is recovering. They give you the Whoop for free. Uh, but you you subscribe to it for like 20, 30 bucks a month and then you can cancel it whenever you want. Anyway, it's a good way to measure it. So if you have a if I see my recovery is low, I'll start thinking, okay, what is it in my lifestyle or my practice is causing me not to get a good night's sleep, or is causing me to stress yeah. it or something. So this is scientific data from this device that's telling me, yeah, you're hitting a wall here, you know, and then you gotta start thinking, okay was my alcohol intake was my diet changed? what's going on so those are some of the tips hobbies are important having mentors vacations are super important we had an associate lawyer working for us um, who had not taken a vacation in two years and just a machine grinds through the work great colleague super professional but we basically had to tell him to go home and not come back to the office for four days Uh, because we're worried he was going to burn out it was just yeah having that vacation and chance to reset and having a hobby or something that you can do whether it's yoga walking in nature or exercise or playing a sport you know join a book club whatever your non-legal you know interests are it's good to do that as well because you get a lot of balance and it helps you with the stress and it also helps you with morning signs as well and relying on your colleagues and if you're stressed talk about your colleagues we talk about cases all the time that are stressing us out and i think that is therapeutic in itself just understanding you know what i'm experiencing is normal this is a crazy file how do we approach it in a professional manner so those are some of my tips but i want to be mindful that we want to save time for q a because that's why we added time and look who's back shannon with all the wonderful um add-ons into the chat box and links. Thank you so much for being such a great helper, Shannon, throughout the program.
0: It's my pleasure. And um, I just want to thank Amrit and Jonathan once again for sharing all of your your insights. It was very informative. And um, as you mentioned, I know there's still a lot of work to be done in this space, um, but really appreciate your your contributions to the progress because it, it is so important um so on well, that another, note another
1: also, tip came in clean your horses stalls I love that one <laughs> well, that's her sense of completion that's fantastic thank you for. Yeah, I love it as we're Excellent. going Go ahead Shannon I thought that one was great
0: yeah there was also Russ if you can just say the name of um your your wrist device that you were talking oh, about yeah for sure so he was that asking is, about that
1: called a whoop so w-h-o-o-p uh so just search whoop it's incredible they just Is this sponsored
0: it. russ <laughs>
1: i'm not getting paid
0: to Do this, you know. But
1: our maybe ge- we could work on a sponsorship for you our general manager laura um i told her about it you know in terms of what i measure when she's got a super stressful job i don't know how she does what she does but she always does it with a smile on her face she got one and she absolutely loves it. She can, you know, know she'll know if she's having a bad night's sleep, and you get an understanding as to what's happening that's causing you the stress and your stress levels. And anyway, don't get me talking about it any more than I did because I'll go on. That's, that's a whole nother live event. Series, about the work. But there's okay, other we'll live event. The Apple Watch <laughs> is really good too for all those things. Too, I'm going okay. to use this one. Any kind of smart device, this is this is one that I use.
0: Great, thank you. Thanks for sharing. I also just want to address um, some questions regarding the CPD hours for this program. Um, So just to reiterate, we have applied for EDI professionalism hours for this presentation. Um, Because of the holidays, I believe there's a bit of delay. So um, as soon as we have um, an answer from the LSO, we'll let all of our audience members know if it has been accredited. And or how much, so um, stay tuned for that. Um, But we are gonna spend the last few minutes just going over some other audience member questions that came in. Um, So first off, um, are there any specific resources or programs available to lawyers to support their own mental wellness as they navigate emotionally challenging cases? I know Bob already mentioned a few, but um, are there any others you wanna share before we close off today?
2: Yeah,
1: I should have mentioned these earlier. Um, Thank you, Shannon. So there's the members, the Law Society has a vast amount of resources available to you. And I think LawPro, our insurer, has resources available as well. But the member assistance program at the Law Society, so lso.ca has a whole bank of resources. There's a, a site that you can go to called homeweb.ca that has um, member assistance programs for lawyers, paralegals, law students, judges in Ontario and their family members that's www.homeweb.ca there's a well-being resource well-being resource center at the law society of ontario uh, which has a number of law society and community-based support uh, systems that you can access Uh, again just go to law society search law pro tons of resources for for us if you're not sure In addition to those resources, you can talk to the practice advisory who can provide you with assistance as well. I know there was a comment earlier in the day that um, if you do report to the Law Society that you're struggling, they're going to launch an investigation for you. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but you can certainly access the website and get all these resources that are also being provided by third parties as well. Great question though, Shannon. I should have mentioned that earlier. Thank you for bringing that up.
0: Thank you, and yes, we'll make sure to include those in a follow-up email tomorrow where we'll be providing additional resources that were mentioned throughout the presentation um, as well as in any questions that have come up as well. Um, so another question that we have here is, what role can technology play in providing accessible mental health resources for both clients and lawyers involved in divorce proceedings?
1: Jonathan's jumping up Riddle, and down.
2: <laughs> yes, I, you, you know, I, I know you, Russ, Super into technology and and how it can help uh, enhance our, our lives as family law professionals. Uh, I'm very into technology that helps with mental health. So there's all kinds of uh, options for online mental health uh, support these days. Uh, some of them are free, some of them cost money. Um, I'll, I'll ask Shannon to post a few uh, options, uh, things like Inkblot, BetterHealth.com are new kind of platforms that are on- online for you to reach out for help. And you can do, you know, video therapy or um, phone therapy or even even in person through these apps. But um, they're becoming much, much more common and much more accessible. Um, there's also in Ontario, the, the provincial government pays two organizations, uh, one called Mind Beacon and the other one called Ability CBT to give free online uh cognitive behavioral therapy for anyone who's suffering from something like depression or anxiety, um, that can really help. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, you, you already mentioned Russ, the, uh, the wrist devices like Apple watches and, um, others that can help monitor your, your well-being and pay attention to them. If your watch is saying you didn't sleep well, and you're really stressed out, then you need to, spend you know, part of the rest of your day uh, relaxing and doing something fun. Um, so yeah, technology I think is, is going to play a huge role and, and some really big companies like TELUS are getting into in the game. Um, so you, you know that it's, uh, I think it's gonna be a huge growth industry in the next few years. Again, this could be another hour, but if you think about <laughs>
1: technology, right, you can do your court hearing remotely from the safety of your own home with support network there. You don't have to face um, your spouse or the abuser if you're a victim of domestic violence in person Mm -hmm. in a physical courtroom. Uh, So lots of huge advantages to technology. That's just one example I can think of many others. Thank you, Shannon.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for those resources, Jonathan. Um, I'll make sure to include those as well. Um, so we have time for one last question here. Uh, how can clients and lawyers work together to create a more collaborative and less adversarial divorce process that reduces emotional stress? Distress?
1: How can
2: who? We already did. It's called collaborative, isn't it? Yeah, It's like
1: <laughs> Yeah, collaborative for sure. But if you're in court, bring in professionals to help you develop a team. help you and your client it could be Jonathan or Amrit or any social worker Uh, we often do it if uh, there's children's lawyers reports we will get we'll help bring in a professional to help coach the the client through that financial professionals we talked about extensively today Um, the only one thing I just want to add to all this Shannon since we did go longer than usual as part of the audience feedback Tell us if you like this new format, if it fits with you, if you're thinking it's, it's better adding on the additional time. I think we can go on longer, but we want to be mindful of everybody's time.
2: And just one, one if I can make one more comment, just to say that if if any of the lawyers out there want more uh, assistance in you know, setting up their practice to promote their and their clients' mental health, give Emron or I a call or another mental health professional and we'll we'll come in and and give you some advice on how to set up your your, uh, practice in a way that promotes everyone's uh, mental health. And just on that note, I didn't think of this. If
1: anybody wants to learn more about collaborative practice, we can give you information. If you're not collaboratively trained, we have a training program that you can sign up for. I'm not selling it. It's not for a few months, but I didn't even think of that. If you want to learn more about collaborative practice, we can give you lots of resources and send you in the right direction.
0: Yeah, we'll make sure to include that as well. Um, Some of our collaborative resources in the follow up email tomorrow. So that looks like all the time we have for today. Um, So I just want to thank Amber and Jonathan once again for joining Russell and thank all of our audience members for joining to listen into this important discussion and also for all of your participation and questions. It's very much appreciated. And as Russ mentioned, we um, very much value our audience feedback it allows us to make changes to our programs some improvements to our programs such as um you know for example our extension today so um, we'd love to hear from you so if you have the time if you can share your thoughts that would be fantastic um, so that as i mentioned that's all the time we have for today but really appreciate everyone joining us and um, hope you all have a wonderful day